0: Well, we are continuing a series we started a few weeks ago, um, just simply called Following Jesus. We've been looking at um, different stories in Jesus' life and just learning, okay, God, how do we follow you? How do we hear you speaking to us in that Jesus? What are you saying to us about who you are, God? Lord, what are you saying to us about the world that we live in? And ultimately, God, what are you saying to me? What does it look like for me to know you and follow you into this truth? And so we looked at the baptism of Jesus a few weeks back, then the temptation of Jesus, and then last week we looked at how Jesus cleared the temple. We talked about how interesting it is that this is how he starts his ministry. He humbles himself to be baptized, right? He steps down to that river doing what what everyone else was doing, people who were in need genuinely to repent of sin. And John realized how out of balance that was. But Jesus said, no, this is the right thing to do. And so he humbles himself and steps down into our place. He gets right down in that muddy river with us. And yet, because he was willing to stand in our place, pictured in baptism, seen in its fullness on the cross, we now get to stand in his place because he did that for us. And so he starts with that picture. Then he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. And for 40 days, he doesn't eat. He's tempted by the devil. And he experiences what we experience he experiences the very temptations and struggles and pains that we face. He wasn't just being tempted by sin. He was in the desert. I don't know if you guys have ever spent any time outside when it's really hot. You can't get your hands on water. It's miserable. Like the desert might look pretty, but it's, it's not a whole lot of fun. He's, he experienced that physical pain. He experienced loneliness. He's out there by himself. He experienced the temptation that comes our way. And then finally, last week we looked, and of course now here's Jesus ready, right? He's been baptized, he's faced temptation. Now he's going to come and, and begin to draw people into himself, and what does he do? He goes into the temple, makes a cord of whips, and starts flipping tables over and driving out the animals. I mean, this is like the opposite of a really good plan to get people to follow you. But see, he's, he's being real, and he's living from the heart, and he's doing what's right. And so he walks into God's temple. He says, listen, this temple is meant to be a place where people connect with God. God wants to love people and touch their lives. And that same sense that he had over the temple where he said, this stuff needs to get out of here. He has that same passion for our lives. The scripture says now that we're his temple. And, And he wants, if we'll let him, he wants to come in and rearrange some furniture. He wants to come in and say, hey, this has to go and this has to go. It's not good for you. It's destructive. And I want to set you free and clean you up. I want your life to be a place where I'm welcome and invited. And the father is there and you hear his voice and you walk with him. Let me come in and do that work. And so this is what we've kind of been looking at over the last few weeks. And now uh, this morning, we find ourselves in John chapter three. This is the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Now what's What's funny about this is we really looked at this story not all that long ago. It's pretty rare that I would come back to a story fairly quickly. But at the end of the summer, we spent a couple of weeks um, just looking at some core foundational things. And, and, and we talked about a message called Sinners, Skeptics, and Saints. And so in that, in that sermon, we looked at Nicodemus, this saint that came to Jesus. And Jesus told him, you got to be born again. And so we're going to look at this from a little bit of a different angle than we did in August, but just to kind of recap the basics of the story here, um, Jesus has just come out of clearing the temple, like this is right on the heels of that. It might have even been that very night. We don't know that for sure, but right on the heels of that, the next story is that Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this teacher of the law, who witnessed what took place in the temple, comes to Jesus at night and begins to talk with him. He says, hey, listen, we know there's something up with you. Us, us leaders, us rulers, we recognize like you're a teacher or something, man. Like something's going on with you. And so what is it? <laughs> Who are you? What are you about? And he begins to have this conversation with Nicodemus. And the more he talks, Nicodemus just isn't grasping it. He's confused. And so as the story goes along, eventually Jesus points to an example for him. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And so in John chapter 3, we're going to pick up kind of in the middle of the story. After having some back and forth with Nicodemus, Jesus says, listen, what I'm talking to you about, it's kind of like this. And in John 3 verse 14, he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus talks to Nicodemus. Now, you might be sitting there going, I have no idea what you're talking about. Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, and that's supposed to be like Jesus? Isn't the serpent like the devil? What, what's going on here? Jesus is talking to a teacher of the law that knows this story backwards and forwards. And we're going to look at it together in just a minute. And he he hearkens all the way back to this time in the wilderness where Um, God's people had come out of Egypt, right? He'd set them free from Pharaoh. They'd walked across on dry land through the sea, and now they're in the wilderness. They've seen miracles happen. And now here they are. They're on their way to the promised land. I mean, life's good, right? God set them free. He's rescued them. They've watched miracles happen. They're even having miraculous food just show up on the ground for them. I mean, this this is amazing. Like, if I saw one of the miracles they saw in that story, that would, like, I'd be set for life. Have you ever felt that way? Like if I could just have one miraculous experience like I see in scripture, like wow, that'd be life-changing. Well, these people were seeing them one after the other. And yet they find themselves after a very short period of time there in the wilderness um, having this story take place in Numbers chapter 21. And so in Numbers chapter 21, here's the story that Jesus is talking about. We're gonna start in verse four. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. All right, now that's our English Standard Version that we're reading this morning, and I'm very grateful for Bible translations that make it easier to grasp and to understand, but every now and then, you just miss a little something when you get away from like the old school King James Version. Do you have any people in here that were like raised on the old school King James, the V's and the V's? See, the hand, there's less hands every few years when I ask that question. All right, so we're going to actually hearken back to King James for a minute. You guys ready to travel back in time with me? Y'all look like, no, not really. You don't want to go on that journey. Okay. All right, well, check this out. I'm just going to read like half of a sentence. Can we handle half of a sentence of King James? Okay. All right, half of a sentence. So the King James says, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. That gets to the heart of it a little bit more, right? You know, ESV is like, oh, they were impatient. No, no, they were more than impatient. They were discouraged. They were downtrodden in their very soul. This isn't like, I had an annoying day. They're not saying it was a little windy and dusty the last couple of days. This kind of sucks. There's a lot of traffic out here in the wilderness. It's taken us forever to get there. No, no, no. Like on a deep soul level, they're weary. They're discouraged. That word that was translated impatient, impatient, In ESV, there in King James, it's discouraged. That word, it kind of encapsulates several emotions. Um, It encapsulates discouraged, annoyed, anxious. Anybody ever experienced being anxious along the way? See, it doesn't necessarily matter. It's funny how often this happens in life. It doesn't necessarily matter what all the miracles have been back there that we've experienced. It's all too easy to find myself right here where I'm living today. And I don't know about you, but there's times where today, on the way, I'm discouraged. I'm anxious. I'm impatient. I'm frustrated. God, why are we stuck here? And see, the story goes on. They, they weren't just discouraged. They began to verbalize how they were feeling. Verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. They're, they're frustrated with the people at the very top. I mean, you think we're annoyed at Democrats or Republicans. They're like, they're going to Moses. He's, he's it. He's the whole thing. He's their religious leader. He's their political leader. He's, he is the face, the guy that gives them direction. He's the one that they hear what God has to say through him. And they're frustrated, that guy that's in charge. Beyond that, they're frustrated, God himself. It says, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. They're looking at their current surroundings and going, man, this this is awful. Why are we stuck here? Are we just going to die out here? They continue on. There's no food. There's no water. And we loathe this worthless food. They're talking about the manna that God gave them from heaven. And they're like, we hate that worthless stuff. They're in a bad way, y'all. Life's hard. Some of you guys have maybe heard me tell this story before, but it's just, it's one of my favorite stories from, from our life. About three or four years ago, my wife and I did a little trip, and actually it was one of the first times we drove through Knoxville thinking about moving here. This is almost four years ago now. Were we, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we, Rob? Three years or four years, do you remember? I don't either. <laughs> ah, terrible with this. Um, three or four years ago, we were driving through Knoxville, and, and we did this kind of long journey through Knoxville, North Carolina, South Carolina, praying about some different cities and stuff, and we ended up in Atlanta where my wife's dad lives, and they've got this little house in a neighborhood, but in the middle of this neighborhood is kind of a man-made glorified pond. It's a little bigger than a pond, a lot smaller than a lake, and he's got this tiny little, little boat, and it's one of those boats that kind of just sit right on the surface of the water. I don't even know what those are called, like, just like a flat-bottom boat, I guess. And he's got a little battery-operated trolling motor to this thing. And, and so we're there for Thanksgiving, and we're kind of hanging out. And my son Micah, um, if you guys know my son Micah, he's a character. Um, he can do anything, fix anything, figure anything out, but yet he can't, can't speak more than like two words in English. We adopted him from Russia years ago. He has Down syndrome, and he just he's, he can't communicate. He has a talking device is how he communicates. But he's always, his mind's always working. He's figuring things out. Well, earlier in the day on Thanksgiving Day, we'd walk down by the water, and there's these ducks down there. And the whole time we're down there, like, feeding these ducks, I just see him. I know how his brain works, and I see him looking at this boat. And it's just sitting there kind of right on the edge of the, of the water there. And he's just looking at that thing. And I mean, it's only, like, maybe 8 feet long, actually, 10 feet long. It's not very big. Maybe. He's eyeballing it, and I just, I know his brain's working. So a few hours go by, we're in the house, it's time for Thanksgiving dinner, everybody's at the table, and we all start going, where's Micah? Where is he? And we're looking all over the house, and one of us stands up and looks out the back window, and man, I wish you could see this yourself, but I'll try to paint the scene. There's this little boat, the trolling motor is halfway in the water, it's throwing water up in the air, because it's not all the way in, and the boat is going like this, back and forth and Mike is on it just zipping around (laughs) like he's doing stuff figuring out the problem he's like ready to take off and go and but the boat was like stuck there and so we go running out there I mean you got to go down like a couple flights of stairs through a yard through a fence like he figured all this out we get out there he sees me coming I know he knows he's in trouble and I'm and I know he's gonna jump off but I'm afraid he's gonna get like hurt so like stay there stay there buddy you're okay we get him off Well, he had gone out there and figured out how to plug in the battery-powered thing for this trolling motor, lift up the anchor, and the only thing that was keeping him there is that the big um, charger had fallen into the water, and it was acting like the anchor keeping him there. So we are, like, terrified, scared that he almost got really badly hurt. Eventually, it got really funny, but it wasn't at the time, like... (laughs) And so, I mean, it was just this this scene, though. I had this picture of him just running back and forth on that boat, just trying to figure it out. And it's just zipping around everywhere, stuck. And so we get him back in the house, clean him off. And my wife is so flustered. And she brings him his little talking device, his little iPad he can talk on. And she just goes, Micah, what do you have to say for yourself? And hands it to him. And I kid you not, these are his exact words. He types it in, hits the button. This little man's voice, it's really funny. It's like an adult man's voice, speaks. And it just says, I'm discouraged and embarrassed. <laughs> I kid you not. kid you not. I mean, and I like, of course, we just did that. I mean, we lost it. Poor guy, I'm discouraged. I'm embarrassed. Listen. As funny as that story is, there's times in life where I feel like I'm Micah running back and forth on that boat just trying to figure out what the heck is going on, how to get this thing going straight, and I'm discouraged, and I'm frustrated, and honestly, I get embarrassed. I'm like, shouldn't I have my life a little more together by now? Like, I'm in my mid-30s. I thought people in their mid-30s just, they knew what was happening. They had it all figured out, and I don't know. Maybe the rest of you do, but I'm a mess, I'm a mess. Listen, these folks were discouraged. They're frustrated. Stuff is not working out. I'm here right now. I'm here. In the last week or so, I mean, it was hard for our family a little bit. It was hard seeing my wife sick for five or six days. I was so excited for her to get back to church this morning, see people, be around people, the life that comes from that. And I mean... She was just heartbroken this morning to be stuck at the house again. That hurts. I'm discouraged for our country. I'm discouraged by what I see. Forget whether or not the platform you were hoping for got in there. Our country is zipping around like, where are we at? What are we doing? I don't think we've got much more sense than Micah had trying to figure out how to get that boat working. It's discouraging. It's discouraging watching people gloat over results, watching people unable to empathize with others, watching people fight so hard for territory and things they believe in that we can't see the person that we're talking to. Watching people flip out and be so hopeless, and it's like that bro does not run your life. It's discouraging, it's heartbreaking. It's hard to see. But Jesus had an answer for Nicodemus, and God had an answer for Moses and his people, and it's something that we can take heart in this morning. And so, even as the people are grumbling and complaining, the bad news is it didn't get better right away, it got worse. God goes, Really, this is where you're at? You're you're not trusting me, you're mad at me, you're upset with me after all this stuff I've done with you, you're discouraged. Verse six, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. That's the solution? (laughs) We're miserable out here, so let's get bit by snakes. Yeah, thanks so much. This hurts, this is painful. But see, Jesus was actually talking about this same idea in John three, a few verses down when he's talking to Nicodemus and he says, listen, Whoever believes in him, talking about himself, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, the truth is the snakes are already in the grass. They're already there. All the things that lead to our destruction are present. They're around our condition apart from Jesus is already a condition of hopelessness and lostness. In our country, the condition is there for poisonous venom to latch onto us and eat us from the inside out. That's what poison does. It gets inside. It gets into the bloodstream. It'll go right to the heart. It destroys. It eats away. And God's saying, listen, he's not just trying to punish them. He's trying to show them something. This mindset of being so wrapped up in the the discouragement of the journey along the way, all the ways that your hopes and dreams are falling short and they're not measuring up and you're just sick of being in the desert, all of those things, they're like poison to your very heart and it's going to destroy you. And it took that reality sinking in for the people to come to their senses for them to actually realize the place they were in. It literally took people dying for them to go, wait a minute. Something's wrong. Something's got to change. And so in, in Numbers chapter 21, verses 7, 8, and 9, we see how the people respond and what God's solution is to the condition that they're in. Verse 7, and the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from among us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Here's the three things we can do. Number one, we can repent. Now, I gotta tell you, repentance comes in several parts. One of the key places of repentance is this word confession, it's a specific, tangible acknowledgement of sin, it removes excuses. And it is very direct. This is the specific, not a vague, maybe I kind of mishandled that, maybe I sort of. No, no, this is what I said, this is what I did, and it was wrong. Now the truth is, what often happens when life gets hard and gets messy and we get discouraged on the way and then the snakes show up and it's an opportunity for God to get our attention Instead of rushing straight to, God, I need to acknowledge my sin, I start looking around and go, man, I heard what Alex said. I know why these snakes are here. It's his fault. I heard him say this and do this and do this. No wonder those snakes showed up. And then, man, over here, here's what Caleb was doing. Or, woe is me. I don't deserve these snakes. Why is this happening to me? Instead of just going where we need to go, God, Here's my stuff. Here's my junk. Here's what I've done. And they were specific. What'd they say? we sinned. They got specific about how they'd sinned. We've spoken against the Lord. And Moses, we've spoken against you. This is what we have done. They were specific. They were vulnerable. Does this story say that each person individually, very quietly, came over to the side... Had a little one-on-one time with just Moses. Called them up. Can I meet you in your office? Can we get a cup of coffee? I need to talk to you about something. No. It was open. It was public. It was vulnerable. They got real. I find it interesting that in the New Testament, it doesn't tell us just to confess our sins to God. It says confess your sins one to another that what might happen? Say it, Tony. That you might be healed. I wonder how often we've thought we've repented and we haven't really gone the whole way. I haven't been willing to get real enough and vulnerable enough to actually find a few people in my life and say, this is what's going on. Man, my life's a mess. It's discouraging. It's frustrating. I'm not even saying my sins earned it all, but like life's hard. But here's what I do know. I've blown it. And here's how I've blown it. And here's what I've done. Here's the people I hurt. And you know what? I hurt God. All sin is an assault on not just each other. It's on him. The creator, the one who made us. He loves his kids. We got any parents here in the room? If if you've ever experienced parenthood, if you want to figure out the fastest way to get a parent really angry, mess with one of their kids. I can take a lot. You mess with one of my kids and it's on. That'll fire me up. God feels that way. Don't mess with my kids. So let's be specific and let's be vulnerable. Secondly, they don't just acknowledge their sin, they turn to God. They recognize there's a problem and they recognize where to go for the change. They say, Moses, would you go pray to God? We need Him. We need Him to intervene. We can't figure this out. We don't have the solution. You know, the quicker that we can just recognize the stuff going on in my life, I don't have the answer, but I can go to the one who does. The quicker I can get there, the quicker the healing can come. Now, I'm all for educating ourselves and thinking through problems and trying to solve them. I'm all for that. I don't think we're going we're gonna to be able to think ourselves out of the mess we find ourselves in as a country. If there were enough perfect arguments to win that battle, it would have happened already. I mean, have you guys ever witnessed this stuff on Facebook, right? Like each side can give the perfect explanation argument for their side, and it's it's really strange, but I don't usually see that actually solving anything. I just see people fighting for their territory. But maybe if I stop being the smart one that had all the answers, and I look to the one who does, And see what he has to say and go, God, there's a problem here. And I think maybe I see some of it, but you know what I think the real problem is, God? It's me. I'm the problem. I'm part of what's happening here. And so, God, here's specifically, tangibly what I've brought to the table that's been wrong. And now, God, instead of looking to myself and my intellect or... Certain people I identify with, and I think they've got the answers. God, I'm coming to you and saying you're the one with the answers. Will you help? And so they turn to God. And then finally, I love this. They seek a mediator. They know that they need someone to go to God on their behalf. And what's funny is who's the person that they had to go to? The person they were blaming. (laughs) You talk about having to humble yourself. They had to go to Moses, the person they'd been blaming for the problem, and say, Moses, sorry, man, we were... We were talking about you. Can you go to God on our behalf? Would you pray to him? Would you seek out and and solve this for us? And so they go to the mediator. We have a mediator and his name is Jesus Christ. And he ever liveth to intercede on our behalf. That word intercede, it's it's the same type of word. It's almost like a legal term. He's, He's mediating on our behalf. He's ready to do that for us. So they repent. And those were all the pieces going on in repentance. Secondly, they didn't just repent. They prayed for help. Now, I, th- I think it's very possible that every single person there had contributed in some way to the sin that took place. I also think maybe there's a chance that there were some folks that were just stuck with all the other complainers. And they were there with, with the serpents because, well, hey, we're all together in this. Whether they can chew the problem or not, they all repented. And secondly, they all prayed for help. They asked God to show up and do something about it. Now, here's what I find to be interesting. Did God answer their prayer for help? Simple yes or no. Did God answer their prayer for help? Yes. Did God remove the snakes? No. No. They asked for help. And, and their idea of what would be helpful is if the snakes were just gone. God, if the snakes were gone, we'd be okay. And God goes, okay, cool. I love you. You've repented. I hear that. I receive that. I'm going to help you, but I'm not removing the snakes. I'm going to give you a plan you can follow, though. Moses, make a fake snake. Put it on a stick. Put it really high in the air. And if people look at it, they'll be healed. Does this sound really weird to anybody else? Am I the only one? This is strange. I mean, listen, if you walk in here on a Sunday morning and I say, hey guys, I've got a perfect plan for us at church today. We're gonna make a bronze snake and put it on a stick and hang it up here. Just look at it, we'll all be okay. And that's what we're gonna do for church today. Number one, please immediately run for the door because that's weird. (laughs) Right, but like, that would make no sense. This is bizarre, this is strange. What is he doing? But see, Jesus is now validating it by explaining that picture all the way back there over a thousand years ago in the desert, it was pointing to something. It was pointing to someone who was gonna go up on a high pole and who was gonna take on all of our snakiness, all of our sin, all of our junk, and be in our place. And he says, "You you can look to me and you'll be saved. What I hate about this is it's so simple. What I love about this is that it's so simple. Have you ever had your intelligence insulted by someone? Have you ever experienced that moment where you feel like I kind of know something about this topic or this issue? I kind of know what I'm talking about here. It's kind of in my zone. There's plenty of things that aren't in my zone, but like this one I know something about that. And then someone kind of treats you like you're, you're a little kid and you don't understand how that works. I mean, actually, my kids even look at me like that with video games. <laughs> Dad, hold on. We got this. You're out of your league here, right? Like there's just that thing that you kind of know and you kind of get it. And then, w- and then when you feel like your intelligence gets insulted, it's hard to get around that. And Moses is like, listen, there's not some, we're not calling in the doctor. We're not going to find a vaccine. We're going to do this thing, and young and old alike, smart and dumb, rich and poor, old and young, whatever, if you get bit by the snake, we're going to look at this. And if, if you actually believe, if you're actually willing to stop and look at this, you'll be healed. It's that simple. And the passage goes on to tell us that they did. If a serpent bit anyone, they would look at the bronze serpent and they would live. Life is messy. The problems of life are complicated. The road that we are walking gets discouraging. See, they longed for a promised land. Well, the New Testament writers over and over again remind us of the same thing. I long for a home I am not at yet. In this land, I'm a stranger. On this planet, I'm a sojourner. And there's a lot of times where it just feels like I'm wandering through the wilderness and I'm going, God, what in the world are you doing? And where in the world are you? And he's saying, hey, listen, as complicated as it may look, as crazy as it may seem, as difficult to untangle the mess as it may be, guess what? I've got good news for you. If you'll look to me, I've got what you need. Just look to me. You can trust me. That's it. Look to me. I've got the answers. I've got the solution. Look to me. Hey, the snakes may not disappear. They may not go away. But guess what? I can take care of the venom and I can give you life. And the same thing that worked in the desert works for us today. Back where we started, Jesus said. I want to read this to you again. Can we go all the way back to that first verse? Jesus sitting there talking to Nicodemus. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that, Whoever, can y'all say whoever? Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's what he offers to each and every one of us. I want to close by looking at um, this conversation about the spirit and being born of the spirit and the wind blowing that him and Nicodemus were talking about. Because this is one of the hardest things when it comes to just, Trusting God with our hearts and inviting Him in to change things. He's having this conversation with Nicodemus and he says, You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, What are you talking about? He says, Well, just like you're born into this world, you also have to be born of the Spirit. Your Spirit needs a fresh start, a new start, a new life. And so Jesus begins to explain it in verse six That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he gives him an example that he can understand. He says, listen, you know how this works. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. We live in a physical, tangible world. We face problems that are real. They're real. I face problems in my life that are real. God wants to come in and begin to change my life from the inside out. And he says, listen, I know it sounds mysterious. And I know you may look at your circumstances and go, not much has changed. But let me help you see something here. He says, hey, the wind, it's powerful. It's forceful. Wind can move things. It can destroy things. It can change the landscape. Does anybody in here question the existence of wind? I don't think so. Have you ever actually tangibly seen the wind? No. But We know it's there and it's operating because we start to see the things that it moves around. We start to see the things that it impacts. If we will look to Jesus and invite the new kind of life that he offers, it's gonna to begin to change things. My circumstances may not look any different, but God's spirit will come and begin to move inside of me. And what he is shifting and changing that's moving powerfully inside of me will begin to have an effect that can be seen outwardly. That's how he wants to change this world. His plan to revolutionize this planet is to come inside of each and every one of us and change us. That's his plan. And I think all too often we've, we've connected being born again to a moment in time when you say a prayer and Jesus comes into your life and that's the end. When a baby is born, it doesn't just stop there. You don't just go, okay, cool, look, we birthed a baby, great. See ya. There's a life to be lived, to be grown into. That first breath they breathe, it's one of many that they'll continue to breathe, Right? The same thing that saves us, God's spirit coming into our lives and looking to Jesus. See, this message this morning isn't just about a moment of salvation. We should live lives being born again. I need to be renewed day by day by the spirit and presence of God. I'm grateful for yesterday's miracles and victories, but like today's here and today's hard and it's discouraging and maybe I've even really blown it. Guess what? There's new life today. Today, I can look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of my faith. I look to him for new life every day, being regenerated, being renewed. And he can take discouragement and he can turn discouragement into hopeful. He can take anxiety and turn it into peace. He can take being impatient and turn it into patience that's producing character. That's what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. God loves the country that we live in. He really loves the people that make up the country that we're living in. And there's not one person in this country that he isn't crazy about. He has a heart for every single person here. And he knows the intricate details of every life. And he knows the complexities of everything that we face. And his solution for every single one of us is to look to him and be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, I just need to say publicly and to you, God, I need new life today. God, I I personally in the last week and a half have allowed myself to be discouraged, to be anxious. God, these words have described how I have felt. And so God, I want to publicly acknowledge I am sorry. God, I I have let circumstances and other things dictate how I view and feel about the life you've invited me into. And so God, I'm sorry. Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you that you forgive me. God, I thank you that you're my mediator. Lord, I thank you for the simplicity in being able to stop and look to you and find the life I need. God, I pray for myself this morning. I pray for every one of my friends here. God, I pray for the people in our community right here in Knoxville. God, I pray for our nation. Pray for our president. Pray for our senators and representatives. God, for judges, for folks on the school board, God, at every level, governors, mayors, Lord Jesus, my prayer is in the midst of the wilderness, we would look to you. God, it starts right here. God, in our hearts this week, would you show us what it looks like for us to look to you and have the life that we need that only you can give. God, help us be the sons and daughters you've called us to be. Help us to be the friends, the co-workers, the spouses, the parents, the children that you've called us to be. We need you, Jesus. We thank you that you're available and that you love us and that you give us life. Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to be your kids. Would you continue to reveal yourself and your great love for us? Holy Spirit, would you come in like that powerful force, that wind? Would you blow new life into our hearts? Even today, before we leave this room, Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe new life into us? And God, I pray more and more we could see the effects of your presence, of your spirit in our life, changing us and molding us into who you've called us to be. And all of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.